want to welcome you again to, uh, to Change Point Northeast Anchorage, and i um, glad that you've decided to join us today. Um, for those of you listening via podcast, I want to welcome you too as well. And if you don't listen to the podcast, you, you probably need to do that. If you weren't here last week and you didn't have a chance to hear Chris Fairman's message, um, you need to go listen to it. It was absolutely awesome. Did a great job handling the text. So highly encourage you to, to take a listen to the podcast. They're out there for your convenience. All right. Uh, we are in the 12th week of our journey through the book of Philippians, a, a series that we've entitled, excuse me, Life Poured Out. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to join with me, or join with me, if you will, in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and I've titled this sermon, Peace, Wonderful Peace. Everybody stretch your hands to me and say, slow down, Pastor. Y'all didn't stretch your hands towards me. If I stretch your hands towards me and say, slow down, Pastor. I, I believe I will. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Yeah. I have a tendency to try to pick up pace, you know, because I get excited, especially when I know God's got a good word. So I just need to slow down and relax and give it to you the way that God gave it to me. Okay? One day in 1889, while seated in a seat in a tent, a man named Warren Cornell, following a deep period of introspection, wrote down the thoughts that flooded his mind. Sinking again into deep thought, he arose unwittingly, dropped the written verses on the tent floor, and went out. Another man, George Cooper, entered the tent about an hour or two later, and he discovered the paper. He was fascinated by the theme and the accompanying verses. It so fitted his own thinking that he filled in and completed the poem. Then sitting down at the organ, he composed the melody that later proved to be parts of this hymn. Far away in the depths of my spirit tonight rose a melody sweeter than song. In celestial-like strains and unceasingly falls o'er my soul like an infinite calm. Peace. Peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. What a treasure I have in this wonderful peace buried deep in my innermost soul. So secure that no power can mine it away while the years of eternity roll. Peace. Peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. Sounds tranquil, doesn't it? It sounds really peaceful, doesn't it? It's this type of peace that the Apostle Paul, I believe, is writing about in our passage today. But yet, if you think back for a moment to what was going on in Paul's life, you have to ask yourself this question. In the context in which this letter was written, how in the world could the Apostle Paul be experiencing such peace? Because remember, at the time of the writing of this letter, the Apostle Paul was in a prison chained to a praetorian guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. But yet he's at peace. 
He talks about peace. How do you get there? How could the Apostle Paul experience this kind of supernatural peace in the midst of his own circumstances? And what can we learn from this passage today that will help us to experience this kind of peace in our lives? From our text today, I believe the Apostle Paul gives us four principles that we can apply right now in order to have peace, the kind of peace that God wants us to have. And here's the first one. When it comes to peace, sometimes you have to fight for it. You have to fight for it. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to pick up where Chris left off last week, beginning at verse 2. Chapter 4, verse 2, Paul writes, he says, I entreat you, Yodia, and I entreat you, Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, we don't know very much about these characters that Paul is talking about here, these people. We don't know very much about Yodia and Syntyche. We don't know much about this trusted and true companion that Paul is talking about. We don't know very much about Clement. The Bible doesn't really tell us very much, doesn't give us very, very much. But what is known is that these women played an important part, a major role in the church. And some grave controversy had emerged between them. And the problem was so significant that the Apostle Paul sat down and he wrote a letter pleading with both of them individually, not together. Listen to what he says. He says, I plead with you, Yodia, and I plead with you, Syntyche. I plead with you that you will agree with one another. Hmm. See, whatever was going on in the church at that time was so divisive that it could split the church apart. And so Paul not only pleaded with them, but he also enlisted the help of others in the church to intervene on their behalf. Now, I know there are a lot of, you know, uh, TV shows about intervention today, right? But that's exactly what was going on in the church then. Paul had enlisted the church to intervene on their behalf. And here's the message for us today. If you're here today and there's conflict or turmoil, if you're experiencing chaos in your life, here's here's the point. Don't try to fight that fight alone. Don't do it. And here's the reason, because if you could pull it off on your own, you would have already done it, wouldn't you? And I'd say this, that that the way that God has uniquely designed us, we were never meant to walk through life alone. We were never meant to face our problems alone, never. And if we try, I'll guarantee you, if you try to face your problems alone when you know that you need help, you will lose. And here's why. Because there are things about your situation that you can't even see. There are things about you and your situation that you'll never be able to see by yourself. 
I was sharing one with a group of guys that I meet with on Wednesday. I had a friend of mine that I meet with regularly. He, we're good friends. He's, he's a true companion. And, um, you know, I, I met with him this last Tuesday, and, and um, as it is, we really talk about what's going on in each other's lives. We got to this point where I had to tell him that my wife and I had been having some intense fellowship. See, Pelzetta and I don't argue anymore. We have intense fellowship. Now, y'all are laughing because some of y'all have intense fellowship too, don't you? So we had hit this spot like two days of intense fellowship, right? So I sit down with my friend, and, and he's asking me how things are going. And I tell him, I said, you know, man, I said, you know, everything's going good, but I'm a little frustrated with this, with this particular area of my life. I don't understand, you know, and I'm, I'm telling him my frustrations with, with my wife and everything, and I'm running it down to him. And, he's, and this dude is cool. He's, I, I'm just going to say, he's like a smooth white dude, man. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, but that's not her problem. That's your problem. He said, what you're bringing to me has nothing to do with her, G-Mac. It has to do with what's going on on the inside of you, a true companion telling me the truth. I love how James writes that in James chapter 4, verse 1. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, and so you murder. And how many of you know that you don't have to physically kill somebody to murder them? You can murder them with your tongue. You can murder them with your actions. He says, he says you desire to have, and you do not have, and so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, and so you fight. And you quarrel. And you do not have because you do not ask. Listen, there are things that are happening that are going on on the inside of all of us. And if we try to work these things out by ourselves without asking for someone to help us, chances are we'll never see the crux of the problem. And a lot of times it's us. We need to bring someone in that we can trust. And I'd say this, whoever that person is that the Lord uses us to bring in, the person that we can trust, I, be, I believe he needs to be a follower of Jesus Christ, he or she. And here's why. Because there's one thing that every follower in Christ has in common, and that is we belong to God, that we're part of his family. If you're a follower of Christ, we have the same Father. We have the same spiritual blood coursing through our veins. We have the same spiritual DNA. We share the same common kingdom interests because we belong to the family of God. We're part of a family. Now listen to me. I believe that if we're part of the family of God, that it's wrong for us to sit on the sideline and watch the enemy devour our brothers and sisters. It's wrong for us to sit on the sideline and not engage when we know that our brothers and sisters are, are having it dealt to them by the enemy. It's wrong. We need to engage in the fight. So Paul urged the church here. He said, come help these women, man. Help these women resolve these issues. And here's the point. 
Here's the point. If you know that there's a need, engage that need. Especially, family, if we know that what's taking place could cause division or breakup in a family. How many of you know that the enemy is hard after families right now? And so if you know that's there, if you know that what's going on might cause division in the church, it is our responsibility in love to try to intervene. Now listen, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, that doesn't mean that you become busybodies and gossips, right? It means that you follow the lead of the Holy Spirit, that we, we listen to the voice of the Lord and we discern what he'd have us do to engage that problem. Paul tells us in Philippians or Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, he says, be eager. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's what God has called us to. We're family. And then he writes this verse, man, that, that I, kind of, I wrestled with, you know, for a little while. I'm like, why is this verse right in the middle of all these verses? And at first I thought, like Chris said last week, that it's a hinge verse, but it's not. It makes sense exactly where it is. Listen to it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness, reasonableness be, did I say that right? Reasonableness? Okay, just want to make sure. I want to make sure y'all was listening to me. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, to everyone the Lord is at hand. I believe Paul makes three important statements in these two verses. First, he says he mentions joy twice. So it must be really important. He says, have joy, have joy, always have joy. Watch this now. In the Lord, always. Did you know that you can experience joy in the midst of whatever your trials and circumstances are? Did you know that? Did you know that no matter what's happening to you, you can still have joy? And I realize that sometimes our trials and our pressures of life start pressing on us and we find it almost impossible to be happy. But let me tell you something. Paul here is not encouraging us to be happy. He says we need to be filled with joy. He's charging us to always find joy in our relationship with God, in the Lord, even in the midst of our trials. The Apostle James says it this way in James chapter 1, verse 2. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you, when you meet Trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness, I love it in King James, says patience. Let patience, let steadfastness have its full effect or perfect work in the King James, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We need to know something. When God allows trials into our life, it's for us. I don't believe that there is anything that happens in the life of the follower of Jesus Christ that happens by chance. The Bible tells us the footsteps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. And so no matter what situation we find ourselves in, we're first, to, we're first instructed to always find our joy, our joy in the Lord. In the Lord. And second, he says, let your reasonableness be known to all. The word reasonableness 
is really interesting. It means gentleness. What Paul is saying is, he says, let your gentleness be shown towards one another so that it can be seen by the world around us, how we deal with each other. Let me ask you a question. How would we treat each other if we knew that Jesus was coming back today? Somebody said, really good. I would be on my best behavior. How would we treat each other if differently, differently if we knew that Jesus was coming back today? That's what Paul's getting at here. He's saying, listen, not only, not only is the presence of the Lord at hand in you now, but there is coming a day, brothers and sisters. We don't talk about this much, but the reality is Jesus Christ is coming back for us. How should that govern how we should live our lives with each other? We should live each day like today is the day that Jesus is going to return. And the love of Christ in us should bind us closer together. I love what Dr. Crawford Loritz says about this. He says, when we fail to maintain our relationships, we make a statement to the world that Christ is not enough. When we cannot forgive each other, when we cannot love one another, when we can't be at peace with each other, we are saying that his resurrection power in us is not enough. That the power of his love is not enough to bring peace and joy to my current situation. And Jesus said it like this in John 13. He said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples because you have that kind of love one for another. When we remain in conflict with one another, the portrait of peace that Christ gives to each of us becomes obscured and confusing to the world around us. And here's the point. Fight for peace. It's counterintuitive. Fight for peace. Fight for it. That's the first principle. The second principle is when it comes to our peace, we must learn to trust our Father. Verse 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in everything, in what? In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Paul is telling us here, hey, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. And then he gives us the cures for anxiousness, three of them. The first one, prayer. He says pray about everything. In the Greek, that word prayer actually means devotion and worship. It, 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 it means a dependence that I'm depending on God. I'm bringing myself to God in total dependence saying, Lord, I need you. It's an act of worship. He said prayer and supplication, running hand to hand in hand. Supplication is humility. It's humbly bringing my knees to the Lord. It's a petition, and I'm doing it honestly and sincerely, you see. No pretense, not trying to pretend, bringing him myself in total humility. Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, with an attitude of gratitude. 
with hope and expectation, knowing that he who has began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. Let me tell you something. God never starts something that he can't finish. That gives us hope. And then here's the promise. The peace of God. The peace of God. The antidote for anxiousness. God's supernatural peace that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and mind through Christ Jesus our Lord. Peaceful like Paul in circumstances and you can't even understand how you can be. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable? Are you not of more value than they? Mike, I need you to come up here. Key, I need you to come up here. Clay, Eric, Corey, Ryan. Eric, right? Ron, come on. Don't look at my notes. I know y'all want to know what I'm getting ready to do. We are Father's most precious treasure. We are his workmanship, his masterpiece. He loves us. His peace begins with trusting that he loves us and then surrendering to his love for us. And then with love comes trust. And then with trust comes peace. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that commercial, you know, it's called the Nestle Plunge. Right? And I heard all y'all groaning out there, just, oh, Lord. And I, listen, you know, um, uh, I want you guys to come over here because this is how I envisioned it. And I envisioned myself not falling. Right? I trust you guys, man. I trust you guys, right? I trust you guys, and here's what I'm getting ready to do. I'm getting ready to fall backwards and let you guys catch me, right? And if you let me hit the ground, you have ruined my illustration. <laughs> and my, listen, listen, I bring these men up here because I know these men and I trust these men. I trust them not to let me fall. You ain't going to let me fall, are you? All right. I don't want, I don't want, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to hit the ground, man. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to step on the edge right here. And, and then I'm going to, I'm going to fall back. You want me to hold my arms out like this? You want me to, you want me to tuck them in? What, tuck them? I trust you guys, man. I trust you. I trust you, man. I trust you. All right. You guys are my men. I trust you, man. Okay. You ready? I weigh 200 pounds, man. You guys ready? Yeah, look at that, and pick me back up again, too. (laughs) 
my man. I love y'all, man. I love y'all. What if we trusted God like that? I trust you, Dad. I trust you, Dad. I trust you, Dad. I trust you. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. I trust you. Whenever we're conflicted or, or we lack peace, it's due to our refusal to surrender, to completely surrender everything in our lives to the Lordship of Jesus, to rest in his arms, to trust in him. The reason we become rattled by situations isn't because of the situations. It's because we want to control. We, we want to be able to control things. But listen to me, when we learn to trust God in everything, we won't be anxious about anything. So, he will be our peace if we trust him. Our our third principle when it comes to our peace is we must protect our thought life. Paul writes in Philippians verse. 8 of chapter 4, he says, finally, brothers, and that finally means to the rest of what I have to say. He says, whatever is true, which means whatever is, has Christ-like character, whatever is honorable, meaning worthy of dignity and reverence and appreciation, whatever is just, means whatever is right and whatever is righteous, whatever is pure, purity in both thought and action. So he says, whatever is lovely. It's the characteristic of, of someone that is, that is winsome, a follower of Christ who's attractive, pleasing to be around, full of generosity, full of mercy, full of forgiveness, full of compassion and kindness, full of a willingness to forgive. Then he says, whatever is commendable, King James says, of good report. Whatever gives Christ followers a good name and a good reputation to those around us. Paul says, if there is any excellence, if there's any praiseworthy thing, make these things habitual to your thought life. Make them a habit. Think on these things. Listen, every day we are bombarded with things that are vying for positions in our minds. You can't even look at TV without there being like four or five different things going on in your mind. Man, the other day I was watching TV, and I don't watch very much TV unless it's like sports Center or something like that. But I was watching TV, man, and this dude was walking down the sidewalk, and these squirrels were attacking him. I'm like, Where, who, who thinks of this stuff? And these are the kinds of subliminal message. And by the way, it was for direct TV. How do you get a bunch of squirrels running the sidewalk for direct TV? But here's what happens. It puts in subliminal messages in your mind. We have to guard our thought life. We have to protect our thoughts. How do we do that? With the word of God. That's one way. Another way to do that is watching what we listen to and what we watch. He brought a message about three, about four or five weeks ago. Does what I watch and listen to, does it affect me? How many of you know that it does? It does. And then the third way is change your environment. 
I don't know who you are, but this is fresh, man. There's someone in here that you know that you're in the wrong environment. Your friends are doing nothing but dragging you down. They're not your friends. That place that you're staying in, you know you shouldn't be there. Change the environment that you're in. Change it. That's for someone. I don't know who it is, but it's for someone. The fourth and final principle is this. When it comes to our peace, we must, we must find a life worth imitating. Verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I have a friend of mine that was a mentor for me for, for many, many years, gone on to be with the Lord. His wife also has gone on to be with the Lord. This guy, incredible mentor. And I remember, I remember going to his office one week, and uh, I'm, I'm standing there in his office one day, and, and his wife, Yvette, is, is uh, sitting at her desk, and his mother-in-law, um, she's sitting at her desk. And, and um, Horace was one of those guys that he, would ne- he never wanted to have technology. He didn't want people, like, to track him down on email, or he said he would never text, you know, all those things, right? And one day he had his brand-new Razor phone because we had finally talked him into getting a Razor. That'll take you back, won't it? Razor. He had this Razor phone, right? And, and I'm standing downstairs, and upstairs the phone is ringing. And Yvette says, baby, your phone is ringing. He says, see, that's a phone. I'm not letting that phone control my life. That phone will be there when I get there. He said, this, it's too busy, it's too busy, it's too busy. I don't want anything to disturb my peace. I'm not letting nothing disturb my peace. I ain't letting you, I ain't letting you, I ain't letting you, I ain't letting no phone disturb my peace. <laughs> That's what he said. My role model. My example setter. Not gonna let nothing disturb my peace. Man, one of the greatest compliments I've ever been paid was paid to me by Jose the other day when we were sitting in his office. We were dialoguing, man, we were laughing and we were crying. And and he says to me, he says, Man, I see Horace and I see Yvette in you. Because I watched him. I patterned my life after. He told me a long time ago, he said, man, you follow me as I follow Christ. If you see anything that in me that's not Christ-like, not only do I expect you not to follow me, but I expect you to tell me. You follow me as I follow Christ. And he said this, those things that you have learned and heard and seen in me, you do those things. You practice those things. And the same God of peace that was with me and is with me will be with you. Horace is gone now. But here's what I found. I found that imitating his life, 
until I could make it my own became a pursuit. Chris said this last week. I went after it. I apprehended it and made it my own. Here's what I found out. Imitation leads to incarnation. Imitation leads to incarnation when you pursue it to make it your own. It's just part of who I am now. That's what Paul is getting at here. You follow me as I follow Christ. Find someone who has a life worth imitating. Ryan, you can bring your team up here. I have some questions I want to ask you as we close today. You know, we didn't have our time of corporate prayer, and so we're going to do that right now. We're going to do that over these questions that I'm about to ask you. Here's the first. Are you willing to fight for your peace? Am I willing to fight for it? Are you ready to trust your father? Not just halfway. I'm talking about taking the nest tea plunge. I trust you, Daddy. I trust you, Daddy. I trust you, Daddy. Do you have a plan for protecting your thought life? Oh, yeah. And if the Lord right now is dealing with you about that specific issue, go to work on it. Don't let this time pass. Don't walk back into the same old habits. Change the way that you protect and guard your thought life. What goes in will define you. Protect it. Have you found a life worth imitating? Find someone that's a follower of Jesus and mimic the Christ that's in him until you can make it your own. Mimic the Christ that's in her until you can make it your own. That's biblical. It's biblical. We read it in Scripture today. And then finally, do you have a life worth imitating? Ask yourself, Lord, if I'm on the outside looking at me, would I try to imitate something in me? Then if you find that you don't or there's an area of your life where it's not worth imitating, do like the psalmist said in Psalms 139. He said, try me, Lord. Search my heart. Know my thoughts. If there's anything in me that's grievous to you, show me. Because I want to correct it. Father, 
Thank you for your word today, your word that cuts like a knife. Your word that has, that contains transforming power. May we allow your word to transform our lives today. In Christ's name, amen.